You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Is your weight dependent on how much you sleep? Could our 24-7 society be contributing to the obesity epidemic? Welcome to our special series, Focus on Diabetes. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kristen Knudsen from the Department of Health Studies at the University of Chicago. Her research focuses on the association between sleep and health, particularly diabetes and obesity. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Knudsen, what is the evidence that sleep duration and obesity are linked? Well, first, there are studies conducted in the laboratory that have restricted bedtimes of participants and looked at hormones involved in appetite regulation. Hormones included leptin, which is an appetite suppressant, and ghrelin, which is an appetite stimulant. And after the shorter bedtimes, the levels of leptin were lower, the appetite suppressant, and the levels of ghrelin were higher, the appetite stimulant, which would suggest an increase in appetite. And subjective measures of hunger and appetite were increased after shorter sleep by about 25%. Also, there are large epidemiologic studies that have looked at self-reported sleep duration and found associations between body mass index and obesity where short sleep was associated with higher BMI or increased risk of obesity. So the less you sleep, the heavier you get? Yes, exactly. Or certainly the hungrier you get. Or both. You get hungrier, you eat more, you gain more weight. Now, is there any work looking at what people eat when they're in this situation? Does the kind of food change? In the studies in the laboratory where we asked about subjective hunger and appetite, we did also ask about what types of foods people were hungry for. And in fact, the hunger and appetite for high-carbohydrate, high-fat foods like potato chips, pasta, cookies, cake, increased a lot more than the appetite for other foods like fruit, vegetables, and meat. Could it be just that if you're not sleeping as much, you have more time to eat? Yes, it could be. Um, It could be a combination of you know, people who are awake, they're bored and they're going to eat more. Studies in our lab, we controlled how much they ate, so we only knew what their appetite hormones, how they changed, and then their subjective appetite. And so that suggests a physiological mechanism as well. Now, is this just in adults or does it apply to children as well? It seems to apply to kids as well. There have been large epidemiologic studies in different countries in the world that have all shown that short sleep is associated with increased weight higher BMI or increased obesity in kids. Of course, the definition of short sleep in kids is higher, like the cutoff is more like 10 hours per night since kids need more sleep. But it seems that this association is true for both adults and children, and that's an issue for the increasing in childhood obesity. Right, because certainly as much as adults are sleep-deprived in our culture, I think children may be more sleep-deprived, especially adolescents. Yeah, and, and Evidence suggests that adolescents need the same amount of sleep as children, yet they continue to get less. And a lot of that is related to school start times being an issue because during adolescence, their circadian rhythm for bedtime, when they can fall asleep, gets later. And same with waking up. And so even if they want to fall asleep at the same time they did when they were a kid, maybe 10 o'clock, it's much more difficult. Yet they're still having to get up early, if not earlier than when they were younger, to go to school. Because in most communities, of course, high school starts earlier than elementary school. Last year when my son was a senior in high school, he had to be at school at 6.30 in the morning. 
which, you know, would be awful for anybody, but for a teenager especially. It doesn't even seem worth it because they'll be, their alertness levels will be so low that, and their, how much they can actually learn and how productive they can be at school, it doesn't even seem like it's worth it to go at that early. Is there any work actually looking at that, looking at kids, especially adolescents, and, and say like grade levels or GPA? There is some work on that and showed that kids who sleep less have a lower GPA on, on average. There was also a study in Minnesota where a few school districts did delay school start time and found that attendance was improved, but it was hard to compare grades because the curriculum kept changing. Aside from the link between sleep duration and obesity, is there also a risk of type 2 diabetes when you have shortened sleep duration? Yeah, there appears that that is an increased risk as well. Again, the same laboratory studies using shorter bedtimes found that young, healthy men, so they're only 18 to 37, none of them are overweight, after a week of four hours in bed, their glucose tolerance values were within the range reported previously for 61 to 80-year-olds with impaired glucose tolerance. Fortunately, after a week of sleep extension, their glucose tolerance values went back to normal for young, healthy men. So they can recover. So they recovered after they had only a week of sleep restriction, and then after a week of 10-hour bedtimes, they did recover at that age. But it's unclear what would happen to older people or overweight people. Well, and of course, most of us don't get a week of recovery time. We, we get a weekend of recovery time. We're not sure how many days is necessary before you start to see the glucose tolerance improve. Sounds like a good study for you. Well, but uh, make a note of that. A little more real-life sort of thing. What happens if you're sleep-deprived for five nights and then try to catch up for two? Do you ever really catch up? Can you ever make up for the five nights that you've been sleep-depriving yourself? Right. How does this change in patients that have bona fide sleep disorders? Well, people with particularly obstructive sleep apnea or sleep-disordered breathing have been shown to be at increased risk of insulin resistance. And that would increase the risk of diabetes. And large epidemiologic studies have looked at this. And part of the problem for people with sleep disorder breathing is, one, they stop breathing in the middle of the night for 10 to 20 seconds. And it can happen several times during the night. And that leads to intermittent hypoxia. So their blood oxygen levels will drop. And that would increase sympathetic nervous activity as well as cortisol levels. But on top of that, every time they stop breathing, there's an arousal. It it brings them out of the deeper stages of sleep. And so that leads to sleep fragmentation and less total amounts of sleep. So their sleep quality and their sleep duration is impaired. And so in combination, the accumulating sleep debt due to the sleep fragmentation as well as the intermittent hypoxia both increase the sympathetic nervous activity and cortisol levels, and those in turn can increase insulin resistance. So sleep disorder breathing in and of itself is is particularly problematic for diabetes risk. Now, how about, is there anything looking at other sleep disorders, say um, narcolepsy or restless leg syndrome? Not that I'm aware of as of yet. There's not as much work that's been done in those sleep disorders. Now, you had mentioned that in the obstructive sleep apnea patients that they have two pathways to get to this end result of increased cortisol levels. What about stress? Yes, stress is a big problem for a lot of people because increased levels of stress have been shown to increase your levels of cortisol. Cortisol impairs your sleep. Not getting enough sleep then increases cortisol. So there's this vicious negative cycle that can be going on there that would increase your risk of insulin resistance. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kristen Knudsen, 
We are discussing sleep, obesity, and obstructive sleep apnea. Now, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit just about the normal physiology of cortisol in sleep? Doesn't it change throughout the night? Right. Cortisol levels are lower, are inhibited earlier in the night. And that's the same time as the deeper stages of non-REM sleep are occurring. Cortisol levels can then begin to increase later in the night and are higher in the morning after waking up. Do we know why that is? Well, there's a circadian rhythm to cortisol, and sleep itself can affect cortisol levels. So people who aren't getting enough sleep, you tend to see higher levels of cortisol at various parts during the day. And so there's, a, there's sort of an interaction between sleep and the circadian rhythm affecting cortisol levels. Okay, so it's not so much that increasing cortisol levels wake us up, but the following the circadian rhythm, it all kind of comes together. Cortisol levels are going to increase throughout the day, even in a normally fully rested individual. But arousals and fragmentation, like if you're woken up in the middle of night, that has been shown in some studies to be associated with an increased pulse of cortisol. And so that will then make it more difficult to get back into the deeper stages of sleep. And so the ideal is that you stay asleep once you've fallen asleep. So what implications does your work have for the community and society at large? Well, as we all know, as the prevalence of obesity and diabetes has been increasing at an alarming rate, both you know, in the United States and worldwide. But we've also seen some evidence that how much sleep we're getting has also been reducing over the same period. And so if sleep is partially responsible for this, then this is an important area of investigation to see, well, if we improve people's sleep or extend their bedtimes, can we help either prevent these diseases or improve the prognosis of those who already have the disease? So perhaps we need to place more importance on sleep. Yes. Now, I wonder if people who are trying to lose weight If they slept better, would dieting be easier? That's an excellent question, and that's actually a great way to go with future research to look at. And I believe studies are ongoing, looking at people who are overweight, trying to lose weight, and seeing if how different sleep durations are going to help them. Certainly, if you're sleeping, you're not eating. So that'll help you right there. If you're not awake, then you're not going to be snacking. And so that's at least that would help you with your diet. Yeah. Although, you know, when I first heard it, it was a bit counterintuitive thinking that, well, if you're awake, you're more active. So maybe you're burning up calories, where if you're asleep, you're not doing much. But I guess if you're awake more, you also have more opportunity to eat. Well, if you're awake and actually exercising, then that's great. But, you know, some people have looked at how much energy is expended between just sitting around, laying down, and being awake versus laying down and being asleep, and the difference isn't that great. So if you're choosing between sitting on the couch watching TV or sleeping, you're probably better off sleeping because if you're on the couch watching TV, you might feel like you need a snack with that. I mean, even ignoring the physiology of sleep itself, like in terms of choosing your time. So maybe we need to go back to the old days of treating people with narcosis, right, and just putting them to sleep for a few weeks, and maybe they would lose weight. For our listeners, I just want to point out Dr. Knudsen was co-author along with an author from Belgium and her colleagues at University of Chicago, a really wonderful paper that helps us understand this because it, it is kind of complicated for those of us who, who don't do this every day. And it's in the Journal of Applied Physiology, and I'm sure if you Google it, you can find it fairly easily. I hope so. Any other resources you would suggest for people out there who want to learn more about this, Dr. Knudsen? The National Sleep Foundation has a website 
that is very helpful and has a lot of things like sleep tips, assessing your sleep, information on various sleep disorders. And they're a very good resource for a lot of this and a great place for anyone to start, not just doctors, but anyone interested in finding out more about their own sleep. Okay. And and I believe that's sleepfoundation.org. Exactly. And yeah, they do have an amazing amount of a resource. One of my favorite things they've put out is something called the Doe's Family. And it gives a little window. It's kind of fun, cartoonish, but great science. And it shows you exactly what their polysomnographs look like in various situations, like with obstructive sleep apnea or a night shift worker who's sleep deprived or somebody taking caffeine. So definitely worth checking out sleepfoundation.org. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Kristen Knutson. We have been discussing the relationship between sleep and obesity. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special series, Focus on Diabetes, here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 